Ah. Hello, Sales. Hello, Crab. I've brought a knife. I know. Because we, we out the back, one of the, one of the guys said, what do you want us to do with the cakes? They've already started arriving. <laughs> <laughs> and we said, well, bring them out on stage, thank you. So they brought us a little selection a little from selection, what's arrived so far. But they're a bit, you know, they're a bit large. So we started hunting around the green room in there for a knife. And then the only one that we could find was this, like, quiet giant cutlass type thing, which apparently triggered all sorts of occupational health and safety problems and... Not about us, about you, yeah. in case one of you is a psycho. Yeah. And, um, and so apparently there's an enormous amount of paperwork that has to be filled in before a knife of this dimension can be brought on to a stage... And I, I reckon I looked into your eyes and I could see that you, like me, were prepared to fight it, but then <laughs> just thought, actually, you know, maybe let's just find a smaller knife. So there is the smaller knife. Might just cut off a bit of cake so, while you just, you just do the formal introduction that we discussed, right? No, there is no formal introduction. I did I, I, I did just had a say, terrible flashback to last year when you put me on the spot about asking me to explain the entire <laughs> canon of James Joyce or something. No, it was just like some massively complicated book that we both liked and I just went, well, now I was going to explain it, which just made you fume. Anyway, that's no, as funny this year as it was last year. Oh, no. Um, no, we did have to say we are streaming nationally. Oh, um, so funny. hello if you are watching us from wherever yes. you are. Wherever you are, apparently. So we're streaming all around the country, including Burnside in South Australia, which is of special interest to me because I'm from South Australia. This is why they didn't want to give you a knife. I know. (laughs) And, you know, all of you people around Australia, however you're watching, because, frankly, I don't know, you could just be getting sort of Morse code (laughs) beepity beeps, but I would like you for one second to think about the majestic Gadigal people who hung around on this bit of the earth having cakes and shooting the shit and generally, you know, <laughs> boring each other with anecdotes long before it became an idea of the Sydney Writers' Festival. So could you all just consider that for a moment and then we'll move and on? That's quite the welcome to country. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> now, <laughs> now, what yep. we do every year for the Sydney Writers' Festival is talk about our favourite books of the year. They aren't necessarily books that have been published this year. They just happen to be books that we have gotten around to reading this it's year. It's very slipshod, that's what she's saying. Exactly. So, I'll kick it off, shall I, with my favourite fiction? Yes, please. Um, I'm probably going to go with Our Souls at Night by Kent Harriff, which I really enjoyed, which is a story which is established in basically the first two pages. A woman named Addie, who is around 70, uh, recently widowed, goes and knocks on the door of a man who lives down the road who's been widowed, also aged 70 and uh, recently widowed, and she says to him, I've got a proposal for you. They sort of know each other in passing, but not very well. I've got a proposal for you. Um, I'm pretty lonely since I've been widowed. I presume that you also are. How would you feel about coming around in the evening and just sleeping in the bed next to me? Because I'm finding it really hard to sleep without just another human body in the vicinity, not offering anything more than that, and maybe we can have a bit of a chat. might help us both feel a bit less lonely. It's just your basic, normal neighbourhood proposal. (laughs) Nothing awkward about that at all, I imagine. Um, Anyway, it's a beautiful, poignant, sort of melancholy but also uplifting book. And so then as it unfolds, they narrate their backstories uh, with each other. But then also there's interference, I guess, in their gentle little relationship by the town who are a bit, oh, they must be sleeping together, a bit judgmental. Well, technically correct. Well, (laughs) and also the um, families are concerned by this late-in-life romance. Um, And it's about to be made into a film starring Jane Fonda and Robert Redford. 
Ah. I know. Okay. How good is that? They are actually the people I would have envisaged in those roles if I'd given it two seconds thought. So, yeah. You've really held on to that book because you read that quite a few months back. Probably towards the start of the past, you know, the last Writers' Festival. So I I particularly enjoyed that. The other one that I really liked was called The Healing Party by Micheline Lee. That is a great book. Um, And it is, she's a Melbourne writer, it's a debut novel. It is um, the story of a woman named Natasha who has fled to Darwin basically to get away from her charismatic Christian family in Melbourne. Then the mother gets cancer. And so she has to come back and move in to help care for the mother. But the father, because he's, you know, an extreme religious nutbag, um, thinks that God is going to heal the mother. And so he organises to have a healing party, which is what the book's building towards, where everyone from the church is coming around and they're going to lay hands on the mother and she's going to be healed at the healing party. Um, And so it's the daughter's experience of living back in the house while this madness goes on around her and she's trying to figure out how to say goodbye to her mother and um yeah it's it's uh it was great really the, the father's it. obsessive belief is is quite impressive as the novel builds as well yeah it i think it's also drawn from events in her own life that she had and, and you, you can tell that it's got the ring of authenticity about it <laughs> some of the experiences what so about you there is actually a, a profound literary gift that um religious maniac parents give to their children. I think like they take from them, you know, with one hand, but they really just give them the best possible start for a a literary life. I mean, look at Jeanette Winterson. She'd be one of the people just going, you know, well, you did do that for me, didn't you? Because I've got, I will never run out of literary material now for the rest of my life. Sensational Orange Freon, whoever made that. Put your hand up. Where are you? With freons like these. Or just go, we can't really enemies. see because lights are in our eyes. Just go, woohoo! Oh, Actually, it's just nice. a, okay. yeah, it's from ISIS or something. It's, <laughs> it's just like a, great. <laughs> death by cake. Oh, no. Okay, okay what's your fiction? Pop that there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Wait and see how mine goes. On the monthly. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm doing, actually. <laughs> well, yeah. actually, my, um, my, the fact that, my favourite novel of the last year I've read, like, in the last three weeks, probably says a bit about our relative attention spans. <laughs> like, ah, oh, this is the best thing ever. Um, anyway, uh, I um, am a, going through a very big Anne Enright phase at the moment because I uh, interviewed her clang the other night um, at, uh, as part of the Sydney Writers' Festival. I was unusually nervous before meeting her because she is unusually clever and observant, so I was convinced that I would be exposed. Um, <laughs> Darling, uh, a meeting of minds. Yeah, no, well, she's uh, extremely erudite mm-hmm. and a writer of such precise gaze that you just don't really want to be around her, but while also <laughs> wanting quite badly to be around her, if you know what I mean. So, um, she won the Booker Prize in 2007 for The Gathering, a book that I did not read at the time and was not aware of. I, I feel like I spend so much of my time reading and yet I can completely miss entire literary movements. Do you ever find that? You just think, Never. do I ever I read a book? Talking <sighs> about. <laughs> well, you, you've got a more ordered mind than I have. But I just, you know, what? Oh, the most famous novelist in the world is coming to town and I'm like, who? Anyway, um, so uh, I have now read The Gathering and uh, it's tremendous, but I... Uh, I actually really enjoyed her more recent book, The Green Road, which is also a homecoming sort of a novel. It's set in County Clare, a region of Ireland that Anne Enright swore she'd never write about because it's so, you know, rolling hills and, you know. 
Uh, and but she's cracked and done it, and it also uh, involves a sort of disastrous Christmas reunion lunch, another Irish theme that she swore she'd never cover, but now has. Um, so the story is about this terrible mother called Rosaline. She's kind of screwed up, bitter, resentful. She's driven her children away, effectively. They're all adults. There's Dan, who started out being a priest, but now is madly gay man in uh, New York. Uh, there's uh, Hannah, who's gone to be an actress, but is now a sort of young new mother and current uh, practicing alcoholic. And there is um, uh, Emmett, who's gone to be an aid worker and is incredibly uh, heroic and saintly, but um, incapable of a human relationship of any kind. And, uh, and then there's Constance, who stayed in Ireland and looks after her mother and so on. And each of the there are sections of the book that each deal with the story of each child and and you could actually chop the book up and read them as separate novellas but then they all come together because Rosaline the terrible mother is selling the house and wants them all to feel bad about it so she's um bringing them home for christmas and there's just the genius of this woman's writing is in her observation of tiny tiny things i mean there's an exchange uh There's a bunch of exchanges at Christmas lunch that made me shriek with laughter. But the thing that I did not pick up about the novel until I started reading some, like, criticism of it and discussion of it and talking to the author is that it is an incredibly loosely but powerfully observed um, allegory of King Lear. And there's all of these fancy little bits in the... Well, there's a couple of little, I would say, in my defence quite discreet landmarks. Uh, <laughs> but there is a bit at the end where the mum sort of goes mad and gets lost in the wilderness. <laughs> so maybe at that stage I should have picked it up. But um, now that I know that... Wow, I'll have to start paying attention to that. Yeah, it's more of a waft of Lear. But, um, but it made me just think about it because uh, Rosaline is this terrible character. You know, she's... A, she's a spiteful mother in some ways. She sort of drives her children away but while also wondering why they leave. And, um, and it, the interesting thing is that when you read Lear, you don't really... I mean, you think he's a duffer or a stubborn old mule, you know, and, um, or silly or whatever, but you, I, don't, I didn't find myself... I found myself charging the mother with much more of a sort of deep, vicious malfeasance than mm. I've ever thought of Lear as visiting upon his children. To the family reunion as the sort of, you know, conceit of a yeah. book, you'd think that um, that's overdone, but I love that. Yeah. I always love that as the, as the sort of... Well, it's a very universal yeah. kind of theme, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. Um, non-fiction? Or do you want to talk more about fiction? Oh, I've got more fiction. Oh. I mean, I've, I've, uh, that's my favourite, but then I've got, um, you know, then again, I, you know, I've read quite recently, so... Um, it's my short attention span. Um, I, uh, oh, I also I, I really enjoyed um, – I enjoy all Ian McEwan novels oh, generally, yeah. but I read Nutshell this year, which is his most recent one. It's written from the perspective of a fetus, which, you know, he hasn't done yet in his career. <laughs> like, this is what happens to you when you write too many books and you're like, oh. I've run out of protagonists. I know. This we one will be Ian, you're a This one will be a zygote. <laughs> but it's also there's an element of defiance to it. Like it's like people who are really good at playing the guitar and they just start like playing it like this and going <laughs> and everyone's just saying, Oh, you're a genius, you're amazing. You must get to that point as a, a but celebrated it's writer. Like... It's great, it's okay. really funny. I mean it's as funny as a fetus can be, I, I think. <laughs> but there's a certain kind of um, 
there's a certain Greek chorus element and there are a lot of challenges for the fetus narrator, you find, like for the <laughs> inability to make yourself really heard. <laughs> but the story with the fetus is that it's overhearing. So the fetus's father and mother have sort of split up or the father's moved out of the house because the mother is just like, I need some space, I need some time alone. Turns out that she needs some time alone to carry on a vigorous affair with the husband's brother. Um, To all of which the fetus is uniquely privy, right? Um, Sometimes awkwardly so, because... I love how Ian McEwen, you know, a good writer can get away with this. If if I came round to your place for a drink and I said, Crab, I've got a great idea for a book, I'm going to write it from the perspective of the fetus. You would just be like, what the... I would laugh at that proposition, except that that wouldn't even be in the top five of ridiculous book ideas you've pitched to me. <laughs> this is, I can tell when sales is, you know, really needing to just go back to work or something. Sometimes even in a weekend, you'll be like, crab, let's write a book about blah, blah, blah. And just like, some of them I just don't even reply to. Have you noticed that? Wow. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm being polite. Actually, actually very I, hurtful. <laughs> um, anyway, okay. that's a good book. Non-fiction. I just want, I'm just conscious we've got to keep it chugging along because oh, we want to leave time at the end for questions. That's true. There's four microphones. If and I'm sure if Burnside like will have a question. And all the people um, watching it being streamed, I'm sure there's millions of you. Okay. Um, we're going to take – you can send a question and it will come up on the screen. We can that take that That is true. Well. Okay, so Non-fiction. I'm just like – no, I'm going to finish our fiction, uh, but oh. only with four words. Um, no, more than that, but n- uh, not very many. Uh, the Girls by Emma Klein I also loved this year. Yeah. And um, Commonwealth by Anne Patchett. I can't believe that was sort of towards the beginning of this period I that we're talking know about. I like that. I liked that one better bel canto that she wrote. Oh, okay. It was okay. No, no, okay. Um, what about your nonfiction? Nonfiction. I'm um, have another bit of muffin or something. Okay. Let's have a look what's here. Uh, right. Uh, Victoria the Queen for me, for the yeah. year. But, so, hands up if you've read that book here. All right. Yeah, that's a good smattering. Uh, just everybody else commit to reading it. It's Look, the thing that I like about that book is, and I love all non-fiction books that go back and visit a period and change the account mm. of it in some way. Like, I reckon writing history is just a horrific assignment because it's so changeable and, you know, you've got to pick things out that hang together and that work. You've got to be fair to the period. You've got to tell an accurate story whilst also extracting something new, making some sense out of a period that can sometimes have been incredibly heavily um, travelled. And and when Julia Baird agreed to write a new biography of Queen Victoria, I mean, that's just not something that I would do. It's too intimidating. You just think, mm. well, there's 30 biographies of this woman. How am I going to find something new? But she really does. You know, it's it's such a readable, fascinating book. And I think it's partly because Baird's a really good writer, but also because she's just got this eye, you know, like people who can walk into an op shop and find the great thing. She's a bit like that because she just is like, yep, oh, that's great. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's great. And she was, I did a session with her yesterday and she was telling, talking about writing the story of the great, um, the Crystal Palace, that that extraordinary expo that um, Albert built while he was still alive. Um, in London, and, and she found all these bits in accounts of the time, you know, from newspapers, like some guy with no legs that had to climb up the tree to, to see what was happening and was sort of cheered on by the crowd. These tiny little bits that she's pulled painstakingly out of all of these contemporaneous accounts. And I love as well how she'll situate things, she'll say, okay, so when this was happening to Victoria, um, 
Florence Nightingale was doing this. John yeah. Keats was living in Italy doing that. And so Charles she Dickens, this... who you don't care about, was doing, um, <laughs> you know, whatever. We don't care. Whatever. Well, not on this side, anyway. I <laughs> yeah. care, but, you know. I'm going to talk about Dickens later. I've, yeah. got some, I've got some Dickens to talk about. Oh, yeah. If you weren't, if, if te- two years ago at the Writers' Festival, <laughs> I confessed that because something's got to fall off the boat in your reading life because you can't get to everything before you die. And so I admitted that I thought I'd probably die without reading Dickens. Yeah, just the whole thing. And yeah. the whole room <laughs> just went feral. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was an audible. Like, it was terrible. Anyway, but I'll I wish they'd had those live dials where you could just sort of, you know, <laughs> the worm, worm, the response. <laughs> it would have been flat line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I really liked a book that was written in 1955 that I read for the first time called Gift from the Sea by Anna oh. Morrow Lindbergh. Very famous book. Has anyone here read it? Put your hand up. Yeah. yeah. All right. Very famous, yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's sort of a... Satisfied customer. <laughs> Want a muffin? <laughs> so Anna Morrow Lindbergh was actually the wife of Charles Lindbergh, the famous aviator. She was, she's an right. excellent writer in her own right, the mother of, you know, the Lindbergh <laughs> kidnapping in 1932. So she wrote this book... Um, Oh, it was recommended to me because I did a thing called bibliotherapy, which I haven't talked to you about. Do you yeah. know what that is? It's sort of like seeing a psychologist. So you tell them your problems, but, but for bibliotherapy, you also tell them the sorts of things you like reading. And then instead of drugs, they prescribe you a reading list. Uh-huh. And they say, this is what I recommend you should read. And the first book on this list was <laughs> Gifts from the Sea by Anna Morrow Lindbergh. Um, and so what she does, she's on holidays at the beach and she collects shells and then she uses every shell as a description for aspects of a woman's life. And so it explores... It it's sounds just sounding contr- crackers so it far. Sounds contr- <laughs> I do- it sounds very contrived, but it actually works really, really well. And she's an excellent writer and she fleshes it out. It's sort of just like a long essay, really. Um, and so she reflects on, you know, youth and age, marriage, love, solitude, simplicity, all these different ideas. Um, it was just, I found it very um, thoughtful and interesting and gave me lots to think about. Wow, that's a, that's a good bibliography session or bibliotherapy. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, you must- Jermaine, my but, bibliotherapist. Imagine if you got a bad bibliotherapist, though, it was just like your reading list is, you know, snap out of it by... Dickens, you know. God damn, I don't want Dickens! <laughs> <laughs> the bill, yeah. not laugh already. Lee, I thought, I thought this would be sort of good for you. Um, Wilbur Smith, I think that's about your level. <laughs> um, anyway, that was great. The other one that I liked, actually... Philip Roth. Have a little bit of Philip Roth. I love Philip Roth. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> just... Don't you like Philip Roth? I do not like Philip Roth. I'm wow. sorry. I just want to... Oh, Why? It just annoys me. I just like, I'm like, oh, who are we dealing with today? Is it the, is it the Jewish mum or is it the nymphomaniac? Because there's only <laughs> Look, two characters, really. I, I accept that every book is basically about an ageing man coming to terms with his ageing but still trying to bang younger women. Know, that is what they like, all are, but I, just, I sort of like it. It's good. <laughs> just like, oh, I just think, wow. I just think there's only, yeah, I don't know, I... Yeah, don't even start me, except other, you already have. The other book, non-fiction book I really liked, which now that I think of it, it's actually similar in some ways to Gift from the Sea. It was called The Bitch in the House by Cathy Hanauer, yeah. which you also read. I love how there's a bit of titter, like, because, you know, somebody's read The Bitch in the House and goes, oh, yeah! <laughs> oh, yeah! It's basically, um, it's a collection of essays all by great writers, unbelievably frank, about just people's lives where they're, you know, women's lives, um, and there's a lot of um, anger about home responsibilities, trying to juggle it with career and all that sort of stuff. But it 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 
covers a lot of people terrain. losing it over the ironing, basically. Yeah. yeah, there's a bit of it's, there's some chapters about sex. Again, there's some about um, solitude. There's a lot about marriage and relationships and people having affairs and all yeah. that sort of stuff. But then she's written um, a follow-up book, which is called The Bitch Is Back, mm. which gets most of the same people to then write yeah. another sort of 10, 15 years later about how things worked out. So if the woman who was contemplating should I leave my husband because I don't really feel in love with him, then it's like, well, what happened? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, on your um, recommendation, read them both and I found it totally intriguing. And what I like about it is, you know, there are some really universal themes there about, you know, women who have kind of stopped work, got themselves um, into a kind of like 10-year period of like kids and domestic work and whatever and then just kids have left and gone, what? Uh, um, there's There's those sort of more orthodox stories but then there's like really interesting ones like, from a woman who's got just got a much higher sex drive than her husband, like what happens? It opens up all of these questions about what you're looking for in relationships and it's great. It was really interesting. Uh, before you uh, do your non-fiction, I can just see a couple of questions from the live stream audience, oh. so should we quickly do those? Um, Jenna from Taree wants to know, excuse me, Annabelle and Lee, when will you do your promised dedicated pod episode to a room of one's own? We can just do that anytime soon. Straight away? Right. Yeah. Well, no, no. <laughs> Did we promise we, that? No, I don't recall us promising that. Okay. Uh, Jenna, <laughs> what are Jenna. you talking about? Um, no, okay, we could, we could do that though. Um, and Lee, Molly. when can we expect a book from you? Oh, well, no pressure, Molly. Um, yeah. I am actually working on something, but I just want to be left alone to carry it, on, carry on with it. So yes, um, take that, publishers in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know when I'm ready. To more pitch. cakes to the green room, thanks. Um, yes, yeah, stay tuned, Molly. There, there is something in the pipeline. Can I interrupt quickly and say that um, a minute ago, when you were talking about the Lindberghs, it, it reminded me of um, surprising marriages or um, synchronistic marriages, and I just I don't know if any of you were here last session but one with Henry Marsh um, in, this, in this room. I came along because I loved his book, Do No Harm. He's a um, British neurosurgeon who wrote this very fascinating account of being a neurosurgeon, which was um, quite striking in that he was very frank about failures that he's had, um, disasters that he's had in surgery and how he feels about failure and um, his responsibility to his patients. It's quite... Um, a fascinating read. Um, anyway, he's written another book uh, called Admission, Admissions, which is what a great memoir title for a um, medical practitioner of any kind. But um, he mentioned, just as a throwaway remark, that he, he's married to a woman called Kate Fox who wrote a book called Watching the English, which is one of my favourite books, and I just thought, how bizarre. <laughs> I really like both of these books and I had no idea until this afternoon that their authors were married to each other. So does Do No Harm, would that be your top non-fiction for the year? No. Oh, okay. I already said what that was. No. no Victoria, remember? Oh, sorry, Victoria, that's right. You started the non-fiction, yes. Yeah, I did, actually, okay. yes. I'm glad right. it was memorable for you. Um, uh, <laughs> well, let me kick off. I'll kick off then on memoir. No, no, no. Can I also just yeah. say... Um, see, this is how this is going, really. Sorry, Burnside. We're running out of time. Um, um, I also... Um, Really, really rate, although you would expect me to like this book because it's about Helen Garner, but um, yeah. Bernadette Brennan's book, Helen Garner, A Writing Life, is a sensational book. Now, if you're not a literary um, academic, you might not necessarily pick up what's uh, something that's billed as a literary biography, but this is such a perceptive, 
gripping and powerful book about Helen Garner and her writing. And it's kind of a biography in the sense that you, it, it takes her work and as you read it, you're reminded of what you loved about the books that you've read and you are um, mightily um, encouraged to read the ones that you haven't. But it also fills in what is going on in Helen Garner's life around these books that she's written and you get a sense of this um, sinewy connection that her written material has to her own life. Now, we all know that she borrows very significantly from her personal life but is also um, doesn't talk about it that openly. This book kind of bridges that gap and is absolutely fascinating whilst being very respectful um, to Ghana herself. So I'm, it's right up there for me. Oh, good. Okay, I'm looking forward to reading that mm. one. Um, two quick things. That blueberry muffin was delicious. Thank you very much, whoever brought it. Um, and also, who here listens to our podcast? Oh, wow. All right. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to share a little something, which is that Brenda is in the audience today. She is. <laughs> Oh, she'll now, be loving this, Brenda, won't she? Loves Brenda's, recognition. Brenda's very introverted, and so I can tell that what's just happened to her is she's had that cold <laughs> chill. You know when you nearly have a car accident but you don't and you just get that, Ugh. that's what will have happened to Brenda right now. And so don't worry, Brenda, I'm not going to tell anyone who you are. But, but we would like here. you to sing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she's here. So if you see, if the person next to you just quietly vomited into their lap, yeah. that's Brenda. <laughs> she is responsible for fixing a lot of technical problems and she is a um, wonderful woman. Memoir. I really enjoyed mm. Light and Shadow by my colleague Mark Colvin, who recently passed away. Um, it is the story of his discovery in his 30s that his father was an MI6 agent. Um, and so it's sort of an account of his growing up in, I'd say, a fairly affluent family in England, um, going to boarding school, which he found terrible. Um, and then his parents separated and then he had this sort of distant relationship with his father, although he did admire him. Um, and then Mark became a foreign correspondent and then um, so they bonded over um, an interest in international affairs. Um, and so Mark then discovered in his 30s that his father was an MI6 agent. So then it's about that discovery and, and trying to piece together what he, his father died about 15 years ago, trying to piece together what his father had done in his career from what he could discover and then what Mark had been doing at the same time. So it's also, Colvin was very interested in, you know, just foreign events. So it's also full of, um, it's not just a personal story. He'll talk about, you know, the revolution in Iran or things like that. So it's a weaving together of um, a personal story and a sort of geopolitical um, summary, I guess. Um, the other one that I really like... Oh, great. It's so great that he wrote that book too because... Oh, yeah. Just... It's, I don't know, with all of these sophisticated hard drives and people <laughs> talk about, oh, my God, you know, I lost all this hard drive material. It's sort of getting closer and closer to the experience of a human being. And the thing that I mourn, weirdly enough, about Mark's death is just there's that brain that just isn't mm. there anymore with all of its connections and its erudition and its just vast, pointless trove of beauty and knowledge and intelligence and kindness. It's just like such a tragedy to lose that beyond just the person himself. But that book is a yeah, is an well, and when it comes to, to literature, in fact, today I felt like I wanted to text Colvin to say, because I wanted his advice on something to read, and I wanted specifically among this particular person's work, which one should I read? Um, and I thought, oh, I don't know anyone else that I could just hit, hit with that and know that they would definitely... What about your bibliotherapist, man? <laughs> yeah, actually, she probably will. Yeah. <laughs> Jermaine probably would. Um, the... 
the other thing too about Colvin writing that book was that he went, his mother lives in Canberra and so he went down and spent a lot of time with his mother and talked to her about her recollections of everything and he found that an incredibly valuable exercise, just getting all of that time with his own mother um, and he felt that it really deepened their relationship, which I thought was a fantastic thing. Um, she's amazing, she's 90, uh, just incredible woman. I mean, he was so stoic, having met her, she is just a powerhouse, so I can see where that comes from. The other book that I really... And I uh, don't know if enjoyed is the right word, but I rated it, was called Wasted by Elspeth Muir, which was also um, a first book. It was basically a memoir about drinking. And her 21-year-old brother died when he jumped from the Story Bridge in Brisbane into the Brisbane River. And he had a blood alcohol limit of 0.25, which is five times the legal limit. And so this sent her on an ex exploration of the way that she and her friends and her brothers drink, which is a lot. Um, and so she sort of explores that and why, and it's very uh, brutal and frank and honest, and then she sort of broadens it to look at drinking culture in Australia. It's a little bit uneven, but I thought that it showed massive promise, and I thought it was a very brave thing to sort of turn inwards, especially in the wake of such a tragedy. So I thought that was a very good book. Um, I, uh, I reckon memoir-wise you can't... I mean, Henry Marsh's book, Do No Harm, is a really great sort of selective memoir. It's almost right. like an anthropological, anthropological work itself about um, what it's like to be a neurosurgeon. You don't really hear from those people very much and if everything goes well, you shouldn't meet one. Um, so mm. that's, it's quite a privileged glimpse of a very, you know, um, kind of a secret society, I suppose. Um, the other memoir type thing that I really enjoyed um, this year was a book called Shrill, Notes from a Loud Woman by Lindy West. Um, oh, some people have read it. I think. Now we talked about her um, ages ago because she did that This American that. Life radio segment about meeting her troll. Oh, that woman, right? right. Okay. So she wrote this piece about um, rape in comedy, and um, she's kind of like a, a comedian. She's also a fat activist. She's this gorgeous, loud, very very funny woman who um, writes a column for The Guardian. For that, she wrote for Jezebel. And like any fat woman online, she's just got, she's just got constant, unbelievable vitriol shot her way. I mean, she's pretty provocative and she's like, oh, I'm up for it, you know, and I'm not scared of anybody. But the volume of rubbish this woman deals with, and it's normally like, so she'd write a piece about rape and they'll, the comments will be stuff like, well, you know, I wouldn't rape you, mate, you know, kind of, mm. like just the most unbelievable crap. Anyway, um, the worst troll she ever had was a guy who uh, found a photograph of her beloved father who had recently died and opened up a Twitter account with his picture and started sending her messages from that account, which was also under her father's name, saying things like, I'm incredibly ashamed of you, you, blah, blah, blah. Right, so... She just was completely thrown off by this and she decided to write a column for The Guardian about this, this particular campaign that this guy was running. And then um, shortly thereafter, she heard from him. He wrote to her and it was a full apology and an account of how he was um, very overweight himself and very unhappy and he resented her for being happy. Mm. Isn't that strange? But imagine... Anyway... She then made it into a um, – she, she had a um, podcast discussion with this guy uh, on This American Life. That's how we first started talking about her. So is the memoir about that or is that just part well, of it? Well, it's just part of it. Oh, okay. And um, there's lots of other stuff in there. And it's right. just – it's very – it's 
funny. She's very, very funny in that sort of Catelyn Moran sort of oh, great, yeah, funny way. And, um, and she's so fierce but she's also very vulnerable in this book. She's, she's a great voice and um, I really enjoyed reading the book and I was fortunate enough to meet her in Adelaide and had a great time talking to her. She's heaps of fun. Um, holiday read. Oh, okay. I put down an isolated incident by um, Emily oh, McGuire. Yeah. I really loved that book. It was a real kind of it was um, it's crime fiction, but with a difference. It's very nuanced, but very gripping. I really I thought it was very imaginatively written and well executed. I really liked it. The book I actually read when we went on holidays, which I really hated, was The Girl on the Train. All oh, right. <sighs> so annoying. Too many trains, not enough girls. What's oh, the... just really just. I don't know, just mediocre, I thought. Right. I couldn't believe it had become such a gigantic... It's but you find that sometimes with the real big hit things, mm. you're just like, oh, oh no. What? I really raised... Although you love Fifty Shades of Grey, didn't you? You were all <laughs> over that. Oh, yeah. It's great. Uh, yeah. Um, Lee, welcome to your bibliotherapy appointment. Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, I really loved for a holiday read. It was just delicious. Um, the Swans of Fifth Avenue by Melanie Benjamin. Right. Yes. Which is... Hitting all your buttons. So many of them. It's basically a fictionalised account of something that happened in real life, or an imagining of it, I guess, um, which is it's set in the mid-1950s. It's Truman Capote in New York, and he befriends this group of New York socialites, the sort of central one of whom is Babe Paley, who's the wife of Bill Paley, who owned the mm. CBS network. I think her name was Babe Paley. So good. And she was the most beautiful and the most fabulous and all of the rest of it. Anyway, she became – it was a pretty bad marriage – bad sexless marriage, and she became really tight with Truman Capote because he was just so wonderful and entertaining and they really... One assumes she wasn't getting a lot of sex from Truman. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, And she sort of unwisely, over a 20-year friendship, confessed, as did the other socialites as well, a lot of secrets to Truman. And then Truman, when his career was on the wane in the late 60s, used all of the material, which he wrote in a lengthy magazine piece because he didn't have any ideas... Thinly, it's meant to be fiction, but everyone knew that it was Babe Paley. It was barely disguised. And so he utterly humiliated her and just betrayed her in the most horrendous way. Um, and so the book is all about that period. It was just like, gimme, 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 gimme. This is great. <laughs> horrendous betrayal. More. It was really, really cool. Um, cookbook. We'll take some questions in a Have second. Have we finished with the other stuff? Didn't or? you? Did you say your holiday You're Just like whipping it along. Well, I just We've only got 23 minutes Cookbook. Yeah. Well, we were going to do plain books, weren't we? Isn't... Plain books? Oh, yeah, plain books. Sorry, I forgot. Yeah. yeah. That's because I left my notes at the hairdresser and these are cobbled together notes. <laughs> the best thing about this festival, it's the mirror image from our festival that we had last year because this year I've actually signed up for slightly too many things and have been a bit like... <laughs> and, uh, you know, angry spouse and everything. Whereas last year... You signed up for about 50 oh, things and then I remember the, the day that we did this last year, you turned up on your scooter and everybody at your house had uh, gastro and just... you're like, oh, crap. I'm like, whoa, keep distance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I swore this is the only thing I'm doing at the Writers' Festival last year because last year, I think on the last day, I just arrived and saw you and just went... <laughs> you did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was very so messy and... Um, yeah. And, and last year I had left my notes somewhere so I had no record of anything that we were going to do. That's right. And this plain year read. you've le- left yours at God, the uh, plain read. hairdresser because okay. you're a feckless wench, right? <laughs> okay. Now, um, my plain book is Everywhere I Look by Helen Garner. I mm. have so enjoyed reading that book on, like, whilst in transit because it's the most 
treatable little box of goodies. You can just open it up at random and absorb anywhere between six and, you know, 36 paragraphs of just pure Ghana genius. What I love structurally about this book is that she's just thrown it all out the window. It's just the best things from her notebook and um, some of them are just perfect little gems and then you might get whole essays. It's just it's so Yeah, and you're wonderful. so right, so good for a plane because you can drive in and out mm. very easily. Um, I'm going to cheat a little bit for plain book and instead I'm going to say a podcast, which is S-Town. Mm. Um, because it's this very, I thought it felt like literature listening to it in the way it's written and the characters in particular and this particular character's voice. Um, and I found it so compelling. Often I'll listen to podcasts while I'm doing something else, cooking or doing whatever. I, if I was listening to this, I'd just stop what I was doing because I just couldn't do anything else. And so it's plain's good because you're sort of confined. So it's basically uh, an NPR reporter gets a letter from a listener who says, you should come down here and investigate this murder. There's been a cover-up, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes down there and things sort of take a bit of a dog leg. Um, but the guy who's the letter writer, John McLemore, is the most unbelievable sort of Tennessee Williams-esque Faulkner-esque sort of character um, and it's just a really compelling bit of work and as I say it felt quite literary. Um, what I love about it too is it's the sort of story, I mean as legacy media kind of contracts and finds it harder and harder and harder to do things on a day-to-day basis or commit resources to doing things, it's this incredibly lavish use of resources in terms of time because this reporter mm. has gone down there to sort of pursue this story and it takes all these meandering turns, by which stage any, you know, Sydney Morning Herald editor would just be like, back here to do the weather report, please. <laughs> like, we can't spare you to be in Tennessee or wherever um, uh, indefinitely. But it is a great and lyrical demonstration of what happens when you stick around to listen to people. And it is this story that is meandering, but it's so beautiful and dramatic and there's lots of cliffhangers and twists and turns but it's worth listening to and it's it could so easily have just been missed and sunk without trace and actually what it reminds me of a little bit is a book that I know we both read and would be hovering towards the top of our non-fiction book of the year I think pile um which is um what's it you know blah 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 the, <laughs> the blah 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 about the um What's it called? Uh, you know, the American book that we that's about dispossessed American... Um, Hillbilly Elegy, thank oh, you so much. Elegy, yeah. Jeez! <laughs> <laughs> you did that on purpose, didn't no, you? No, I didn't. Like, I really couldn't think of it like either. reverse bibliotherapy where the guy just goes... Just goes. <laughs> Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Yeah. Vance. Yeah, we both read yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now, we're going to take questions in a second. So if you would like to ask a question, <laughs> there's, a, there's a mic there, 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 and there. So if you line up, we'll just go clockwise around. But while we wait for that, <laughs> the thing I wanted to ask Mark Colvin, because I've, I've got a wobbly moment about the thinking I wouldn't read Dickens. So what I want to do is get by applause. <laughs> I wanted to ask Colvin if I read one Dickens, which is the Dickens that I should go for. So by a show of applause, I'm just going to rattle off some Dickens because I want to hear from a room full of readers generally what they think, Okay. Oliver Twist. Uh, <laughs> See, they hate Dickens too. Yeah. Um, David Copperfield. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, Great Expectations. Okay. Um, A Tale of Two Cities. Yeah. Oh, okay. Nicholas Nickleby. 
Uh, Bleak House. Ah, oh. oh, wow. So what do you think was this? This is why you got dissed so Let me bad. do it. Okay, let's just, now we'll do an elimination. We'll do it out of um, A Tale of Two Cities and Bleak House. Okay, so out of these two, A Tale of Two Cities. Okay, or Bleak House. Oh. Too bad, you're reading both of them now. <laughs> um, okay, how about over here? Is that, oh no, hang on, are you asking a question? Or are you just loitering? No, no, sorry. Oh, they're, they're in the spotlights, right? Sorry, okay, I see. Yep, okay. Um, over oh, hello, here. we've got up here. See, look, yep. have, you, have you ever um, done a run a before, television no. program or anything <laughs> similar before? I wonder just like... like... <laughs> yes, Matt over here. Oh, well, hi. Yeah. Thanks. Um, look, regarding S-Town, uh, it was quite hard to stick with because of the, the accent of just... John, John's uh, accent was just phenomenal. But uh, did you feel it strayed close to some ethical challenges for the, the producers of the show? I think it did, but I think the fact that he was dead, I thought... Um, really cleared things up. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, uh, yeah. one of those plot twists, just scratch it, because... Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Straight to episode six, if you will. I, <laughs> I can't tell what's horrified an audience more, that or the Dickens a couple of years ago. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, hmm. let's just move on. What yeah, about... Look, um, in, answer, in, answer, in general, in answer to your question, yes, I think the, the reporter gets super involved in the life of this guy and of his community, but I'm... It's such an intimate account that I'm not bothered by that. It, it's, it's, um, it's disclosed, it's narrated, the reporter talks about his own responses and feelings, as is the new sort of vogue in podcasts. You sort of self-narrate your way around the continent, don't you? And, um, and consequently, I'm not too fussed by it. Okay, what about upstairs up here? Hi. Uh, first of all... I just adore both of you, so. <laughs> he seems nice, doesn't he? Um, Are you about to read some poetry? <laughs> You've got a book um, with you. So, uh, Annabelle, you mentioned a writer's gaze, so I have a, a recommendation. Oh, okay. Uh, Valerio Luizelli's Story of My Teeth, you should Ooh. read, and then let us know what you think of it on the podcast. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> sure. Um, so... Just contrasting someone like Mike Colvin with, I don't want to say a name, Miranda Devine, <laughs> how do you, like, how do we deal with someone like that? Like, what, what is the correct response? Before. Do we need to, should we just ignore her? Or, like, does she need to be challenged? Or Well, look, I might be possibly a bit less fussed by the existence of Miranda Devine. You seem to be quite... <laughs> tense about it. Um, Have you considered some bibliotherapy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I mean, I think that um, you should always read people that you disagree with. I think it's a very grey and um, worrisome world where you read only writers with whom you agree. And I remember when, in the early days when I was doing Insiders and Barry Cassidy used to get all these calls from outraged ABC viewers saying, look at that terrible Piers Ackerman man, get him off the couch or, you know, Andrew Bolt. And I was thinking, 
that's why it's an interesting program. Like, you know, if you just have people that you agree with or where everybody agrees with each other, then it becomes this kind of pointless exercise, I think. And, mm. um, I, yeah, I think it's a sad world when there's only people that you v- vigorously agree with. Let's rattle quickly down the list from, that's coming in from the live stream. Sam in Mudgee, is it too cruel to talk about your least favourite book of the year? Well, I said Girl on Train. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just tend to abandon books if I don't like them. I'm, I'm, I've got a bit more ruthless about it. I only read books that I'm pretty sure I'm going to get something out of. Shout out from Burnside to Annabelle. Woo! <laughs> Have you read any good books on Trump's political career? Oh. Uh, only at the start. No. Um, although, don't you just get the sense with that office that that West Wing is oh. just full of people just going, excuse me for a minute. Oh. <laughs> I mean, there would just be like a thousand really badly written but like really full of insane rubbish kind Imagine of Imagine how long memoirs. it takes to get into the toilet. I'm yeah. coming. I'll yeah, be out in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> On my to-do reading list is actually that new book um, about uh, about the Clinton campaign. It's called Shattered Inside Hillary Clinton's Doomed Campaign by Jonathan Allen and Amy Barnes. I'm looking forward to reading that. I think we'll get all sorts of um, post-mid-match analysis from the Trump uh, presidency uh, in rich profusion in not too long a time. So I'll just do the campaign first and then move on to analysis afterwards. Madeline in Canberra wants to know, are there any books that you have completely disagreed on? Uh, Madeline, have you ever heard us speak ever? <laughs> um, nothing springs immediately to mind, but you do like a, a sort of style of book that my mother really likes, which is um, about... That's actually a real covert disc going on right there. <laughs> which is about, like, animals and... What's that? Who's that dude? <laughs> what are you talking No, you know that dude, Jared something his name is? What? That dude who's, like... Gerald Durrell. So I was just trying to do that thing that she was doing to me on JD Vance. Sorry, dude, can't help you. Okay, if you want to take, if you want to diss Gerald Durrell, I will take you outside and slap you. Okay, because yeah, I don't. Not, not God, so interested you're just in that. a monster. All right. Okay. This young lady over here. Oh, um, hello. So, hello. Oh, big voice. So, um. <laughs> So I'm in year six and we're doing a project where you choose um, a notable person and you study them. So I've chosen Annabelle. And I also, um, um, uh, I also, I also uh, uh, little girl, before you go on. Yeah. <laughs> no, come and ask, yep. Um, I also really like Kelly. And so we... Um, we, um, I was just wondering, what do you think would be, um, you can choose which question you want to answer, but <laughs> which do you think would be either your favourite like children's book that oh. you've read or like a recommendation, or um, which would be your very favourite book or overall that you've ever read? Oh, wow. Excellent question. Thank you for the question. Well, now I'm going to recommend that you read everything that Gerald Durrell's ever written. <laughs> Now, I'm not even, that's not even a joke. It's one of the books that, one of the series of books that I started reading that I really enjoyed that made me seek out more books by the same author. And, you know, when you're really young and you start um, out reading, you're new at it, so you don't immediately know what's good or bad, but if you keep going and read as much as you can, what happens magically at some point is your brain starts to tell you the stuff that you like and the stuff that you don't like. And one of the most magical things about becoming a reader is knowing what you want to read more of. And it's, it's 
like a compulsion that just drives you through this sort of world of books. And I, I envy you at your age, the journey that you're about to set out on. And um, I'm so pleased that you are um, stepping out so strongly on that path. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, Great question. No Thank you. There. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, this. There's nobody standing at any mics. I mean, come on. Cookbooks. Oh, cookbook. You want to know what cookbooks be like? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes, you... good. Um, yes, I do. I actually have a cookbook that I haven't discussed with you yet. Yes. <laughs> We're all chilling the air now, isn't there? Um, <laughs> okay, so I've been Are there really... any children in the audience who would like to do an assignment on me? <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> do I mean I'm sure there's some of you in this room as well we do things together people come up at the end to say hello and a heap of them are dressed as like little crabs they wear nice skirts cardigans where are the little salesmen? where are the little people in their power suits (laughs) (laughs) oh I've just got a quick recommendation for my new best friend there Um, you know Lauren Child's going to be here tomorrow and she's she's a terrific writer I reckon for um for a range of younger ages she wrote the Ruby Redfort um detective series which um my uh 10 year old daughter is really keen on and so we're going to see her tomorrow morning I don't know if there are still tickets but yeah sorry um so the cookbook (laughs) I feel like a sort of a lesser labor front bencher being chivied around by you (laughs) right now the, the cookbook is called Spice I Am, and it's um, there's a restaurant that I've never been to in Surrey Hills called Spice I Am. I've I've cooked extensively from the rest, restaurant, uh, the cookbook, but never been to the restaurant, which is crazy. Um, the author's name is Sujet Sainkam. I'm probably mispronouncing it, but it is um, beautiful Thai food, and it has this generous use of white pepper, which is an ingredient that I'm just learning more about. Mm. There's the most sensational recipe for prawn cakes in there, which I could just eat forever, every meal. Um, Our so, friend yeah. Clive gave me that book as a present. I haven't cooked anything out of it He yet. gave it to me, but I've actually cooked extensively out of the book, whereas <laughs> you just probably put it straight in the bin. That's the difference between... <laughs> Did you put it in the bin? Did you? Clive, I have not put it in the Did bin. Did you put it in the bin? If Clive's listening, it's not in the bin. It's on the shelf. It's in the bin. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh my gosh. This isn't a book question. However, my family and I have enjoyed watching both of you interview a range of politicians. Who are your favourite politicians and why? (laughs) Um, Gosh, that's always just such a terrible question because, um, (laughs) of course, the answer is you know, your favourite politicians aren't always the same as your favourite interview because your favourite interview is when they've done something mad or fabulous or, you know, um, so, I mean, by definition, my favourite politicians are the ones that are interesting and kind of well-read and, you know, I mean, like, I think whatever you, um, whatever conclusions you have about the current Prime Minister, you could always recognise that he's a prodigiously well-read person who's always interesting to talk to. And, you know, I, I, I value that about having interviewed him a bunch of times. Mind you, I wrote a sort of book about him, so I'm, you know sort of 
have <laughs> been forced to confront aspects of him that probably not everybody has been. Um, what do you what do you oh, look, look I, for in a I'm actually I'm interviewing on Monday the American Senator John McCain, who's in, going to be in Australia, and uh, I yes. have always mm. been an admirer of his from afar. I think he's a genuine American hero, um, military hero, and he's been pretty ballsy politically too. He's about the only Republican at the moment, sort of way out there in terms of the his criticism of Trump. So I think he's got a lot of guts and. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to... I haven't, I think, he's not my favourite because I haven't met him before, but I, I do admire I the guy. I the, the answer to your question in general is like, I love interviewing politicians, and I'm sure you do too, who aren't um, frightened to be interesting. And that is a massive problem with politics at the moment, is that there is an inbuilt disincentive in the system against being interesting. Um, and, you know, whether it's someone like Barnaby Joyce, who I think, you know, uses this sort of clod-hopping persona sometimes in order to achieve an effect that is not consistent with reality. Like, that that man is much, much cleverer than a lot of people assume he is, I think. Um, but... Why don't, um, just because I'm looking at that thing that's winking at me five minutes to go, let's oh. um, quickly, just a, one, just give the title, don't, don't um, expand on it. Katrina from Dubbo wants to know, what's your most beloved childhood book that started your reading journey? My Family and Other Animals by Gerald Durrell. <laughs> Mine was The Enchanted Wood by Enid Blyton. Question over here. I have another question about your interviewing style. So I'd say with Annabelle, like I guess particularly with Kitchen Cabinet, um, you're there, it's very personable and it, then disarming kind of and the question comes in and they're kind of what... what um, whereas Lee can be a bit more pressure cooker in, um, in her interviewing style. <laughs> so I'm, I'm interested um, whether, um, like in terms of the preparation for that and whether you feel you need to be those personas... And I guess the follow-up, I guess I've seen more of Lee's um, interviews with people um, from overseas and also, um, I guess, more celebrities rather than politicians. Do you think that you hold them to the same account, and should you, because many of them, in terms of their personal lives, have things going on, but are you allowed to or not allowed to kind She's of go there? Just on Julie Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> I, I and Harrison think Ford. Oh, really? My rule of thumb is if you, unless, you, unless your personal life directly impacts your ability to do your job, then I think it's not relevant, so I wouldn't um, ask about it. Um, what was the first bit? Structurally, I think the difference between our interviewing experiences is that I've normally got about six hours. She's normally got about six minutes. And that... Yeah. I've done your job once or twice and, oh, my gosh, it is incredibly difficult. And I think, you know how every now and again either the Australian or the Sydney Morning Herald calls you rude depending on who you've been rude to? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's like a sort of next morning industry of, like, major tension between sales and fill-in gap here. Um, but the truth is that you've got to interview – you've got to interrupt people – um, otherwise you won't get enough questions in. Oh, so there is a structural yeah. reason why you are a rude bitch. You've done it to me about 20 <laughs> times. You've done it to me about 20 times and we're friends, you know. It's because it's, it's also, it's sort of become into my personality because I'm always under such time pressure. I'm all the time <laughs> thinking, okay, it says three minutes on the clock. I haven't finished that. There's a lady standing there. There's some questions on the screen. Like, how am I going to sort of make it all happen before I get the countdown? How am I going to get this book in the bin <laughs> in like, the time that we've got? <laughs> Um, I, do I feel the need that I have to have that persona? The one bit of feedback I get from Chat 10 listeners is that, which, and they say, unlike Annabelle, 
They say how you are on the podcast is how they understand you to be. How I am on the podcast, they find shocking compared to how I am on television. And that's just the nature of that 7.30 is a very serious show and I take that responsibility very seriously. Sometimes we do lighter stories and I have a bit of fun with interviewees, but generally the sort of business end of the show I take extremely seriously. That doesn't mean I take myself seriously, hence why I'm much lighter on the podcast. Um, This question. (laughs) Hi, I'm one of the many people that absolutely love your podcast. I've bought the cookbook community and I'm enjoying so many of those recipes and opened up to other podcasts and books. So thank you for that. What I particularly love about your podcast, I love the laugh crying. I'm driving along the car, (laughs) absolutely laughing to myself too. But to me, the really special thing, as Lee has said, is your friendship on that podcast is in the busy world and the careers that you have in family women, is it, is it a sanctuary? Is it a special place to go to to do this podcast together? What, what do you each get out of it? Well, time... Oh, I'm going to answer this because you're going to say something awful. Um, well, it is actually... The podcast gives us an opportunity to spend time together, which we probably otherwise would sort of keep saying, should we catch up? Yeah, let's catch up soon. You know, that thing Mm. that you do. And I think the reason we started doing it, or I remember the conversation we had around doing it, which was half a joke where we said, you know what? Because we, I mean, I feel like I get a lot out of talking to you because you are incredibly well read. You've got a good recall of things. You like joining things together. And so I find if I talk to you for half an hour, I always walk away with a bunch of ideas of things to read or I think, oh, sales is, you know, that's an interesting angle on that. You know, I, and if you, if you write a column or if you work in journalism, you're always looking to sucker ideas from wherever you can and I find that you're a very efficient provider of those ideas. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, um, we, we had the conversation. We said, look, you know, we, we don't catch up often enough. I bet if we had like a podcast or something and it became like work, we would actually do it. Um, and it's true, like that, particularly women who are doing the work family juggle, all the research shows that the first thing that women give up in those circumstances is stuff that they do for themselves for pleasure, you know. Um, And also we rarely get time outside the podcast where we catch up by ourselves because there's always 8 million children hanging around and Mm. just a house full of people. And so we rarely get an uninterrupted conversation. So it's actually quite nice. So we see each other, but mostly it's pretty chaotic and so we don't really but then you sort of have that because you've got the underlying bond from the amount of time we spend together even when we're at something if we're not talking a lot it's still that underlying bond if you know what I mean and some funny text messages oh yeah heaps that and also um the main response I get from people about the podcast is that because I think when we started it I thought oh this is going to be about books and movies and tv and blah 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 but actually the feedback overwhelmingly is that it's about friendship and I think that's why a lot of people interact with us like they're our friends because they feel like they are and we feel like they are. Like we feel like we're having a conversation with each other and a conversation with our friends. So we really love doing it. It's great. Yeah. Also, I'd like to shout out to Maria who came up to me yesterday and said the nicest thing. She came up and she was um, moved to Australia from the former Yugoslavia. I know she's here somewhere. She said she was coming, um, probably sitting next to uh, Brenda. <laughs> but she said, oh, you know... Um, I feel really welcome in this country listening to the two of you, which is a very nice thing very to nice hear. Very nice thing. People say really nice things. It says one minute on the thing, so um, how about that lady over there? Hi, just a brief one. Um, I'm the president of the Dickens Society. And <laughs> I knew you'd be run to earth eventually. Let me guess, is the president of the Gerald Durrell Society also here? <laughs> 
And Lee, we'd really love to hear um, what your thoughts are, a bleak house or a hard time. <laughs> do, do, you, do you yourself have, what, which, which one did you vote for? Great expectations. Ah, oh, God. Well, that experiment didn't effing help very much, did it? Now I've got three of them to do. You're in trouble with everyone now. Even the Dickens authorities are on your tail. That's, that is very satisfying to me personally. Thank you very much. Um, anyway, thank you. We really appreciate everyone coming along. We love our Chat 10 people. Um, you're awesome. Thanks for the cakes. I think I'm going to sign a couple of books if anyone's got any to be signed. Sales hasn't written a book for years, so, you know, <laughs> she'll sign your inner thigh if you're interested. Um, and <laughs> oh, you're such a mother. Over and out. Thank you.